0: please visit SoundsTrueFoundation.org. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, and today my guest is Carolyn Mace. Carolyn Mace is the author of several New York Times bestsellers, including Anatomy of the Spirit, Sacred Contracts, Invisible Acts of Power, and Why People Don't Heal and How They Can. She is a leading voice in the field of energy medicine and human consciousness, and she holds degrees in journalism, theology, intuition, and energy medicine. Which Sounds True, Carolyn has created more than 20 audio learning series, including a new program called The Courage to Confront Evil, The Most Important Challenge of Our Time. Carolyn has a way of talking about evil that brings it out of the realm of superstition, theology, and makes it extremely real right now in our own personal self-reflection. Here's my conversation with Carolyn Mace. Carolyn, it's always great to have a chance to talk to you. One of the great delights of my work, It Sounds True. And today, I want to talk with you about something that seems to trigger a lot of people just by the mention of the word, and that is evil. The Mm -hmm. word evil, what it means. And let's just begin. What do you mean by evil?
1: Um, I think there's several ways I will speak about evil. And, uh, And first of all, let me just... Compliment you on the courage to speak about this subject, uh, Tammy. For the ev- evil is uh, many things. One, it's the absence of good, and it's the absence of grace. But at a more practical level, it's the a disconnect from your conscience at, at the working level. Say the blue collar definition. It's when you consciously disconnect from your conscience and you and and from the intuitive gut instinct and you choose to disconnect from that and evil is first of all let's be very clear that evil's real there is a real conscious force just like there's a conscious force of good so there's a the polarity there is a balance there's light and there's darkness and and that of course if i was in a classroom right now somebody would throw their hand up and say well are there angels and demons and people are very comfortable with angels they love to talk about their angels and angels help them find parking lots which is a parking space which is nonsense angels are messengers of the divine they're not in the business of that nonsense they're they're messengers of the divine. They're holy beings of light, and there are demonic forces, and these are as real, and these are messengers of darkness. And and somehow, in these last fifty, sixty years, we've gotten too big for our intellectual britches, and um, we think we can redesign the cosmos according to our design, that we, we think we can somehow decide we are in charge of the design of this universe, and we've declared that evil, we've banished evil from the planet, and, and that's part of evil's nature, um, that we get too big for our, ev- our britches. So evil is this force, and it influences us, And it feeds off of our arrogance, and it feeds off of our weaknesses, it enhances our weaknesses, it builds our bravado, and it enhances our appetites to control other people, because all of that is based on our fear of survival. So the way evil gets into the threads, our blood and our bones, is that it... Um, awakens what Buddha would call our craving for illusions.
0: Okay, Carolyn, there's a lot here that I want to try to tease apart a little bit. Let's get into this idea of angels and demons. Because, you know, I know a Mm -hmm. lot of people who believe that they're in touch with guardian angels, archangels, Mm -hmm. etc. They're connecting with archangels for healing, on and on. And if I said to them, well, have you ever... Made contact or have any awareness of a demonic force, they would go, No, no, I've no experience of that. Never happened to me. Don't know anything mm-hmm. about it. So mm-hmm. what's it like to come into contact with a demonic force?
1: Okay, now ask them if they believe in negativity. Look at what they wear. Are they draped in stones for, quote, protection? They've simply Redis- they simply have redistributed their vocabulary for words that they're more comfortable with because they're so afraid of evil. So they've chosen more neutral words. They they use negativity. They, they avoid uh, the negative because they're so afraid of evil. They've gone the other way, and they've juvenilized their their approach to evil because they're so afraid of it and this is part of turning down the noise, the the your connection to your conscience and uh, this is juvenileizing your spirituality what's it like to be in touch with evil well um for me i've had i have a high sense of when i'm around darkness and there's no part of me that juvenilizes it. There's absolutely no part of me that um, turns down that radar. Um, so I sense um, what's it feel like? Well, I've never had an encounter a direct encounter with what I would call a demon in the actual sense of seeing anything, hearing anything, watching something fly across the room, though I know that happens. But I haven't seen that, I haven't witnessed it, and I don't want to, but that's real. Um, What I have been around is um, a sense that this This person has so much darkness in them that I need to to get away from this person. I've been around people whose only intent is to corrupt the people around them, to diminish their self-worth, to take possession of them in some way, and that is a form of evil. That is a form of evil. Okay,
0: but Carolyn, let me ask you about that, because I think most of us have been around people that Mm -hmm. we maybe have some similar sense about. But we would not necessarily use a word like evil. We would say they have some psychological disorder, a mental illness of some kind. We would explain it in psychological language. They were damaged from an early age.
1: To our detriment, Tammy, we have provided ourselves with a vocabulary... That covers up evil. And that is not to our, that is um, harmful. And sure, we can, we can sophisticate the behavior of evil. And we can say, look at that. It's a psychological condition. But behind that, and and, and let me say it this way. We can also, we also do that with goodness and, and the work of angels. And we say that person has such a generous personality. That person has so much love in them but behind that is also the work of angels that ins- that that uses that those channels in that person and enhances that love and 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 which is why that person's inclination to be so loving is used as a channel for that love and people want to be around that light and that light is it goes from being cologne to perfume because it's inspired by greater light. And so this is how it's used, and we can academize that as much as we want. We can call it that person's inclined psychologically to be loving, and blah, 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 and we can call it whatever we want because that's what we do. But the same thing with darkness. We can say this person's got this kind of damage in the brain and doesn't have it, and it's missing a pineal gland, and blah, 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 and we can call it whatever we want. But darkness takes advantage of brain damage or takes advantage of those personality traits and uses them. One of the reasons it's so important to raise children with consciousness and love is because when, one of the many reasons, but you know, when um, a child, when, when when little human beings are abused, when when they're perception of the world becomes askew and their sense of what is how to respond to the world gets wired in and their response for example when you ask a little child early on when they're learning about the mechanism of telling the truth or lying and what's the response to that and when you say to a child did you do this And the child says yes and tells you the truth and you punish them for that. You punish them for telling the truth. They're going to mistrust truth and then trust darkness because if they lie and get away with it, they'll feel that darkness is safety and truth is risky. And right there, you have what in Catholicism is called original sin, but it should always have been called, perhaps, the origin of sin. The sense that the light telling the truth is where I'm punished, but if I go to the darkness and hide with lies, that's where I'm safe. And little by little, the psyche begins to morph and negotiate its way with darkness, if I just not tell the truth here and not tell the truth there, morph a little bit here, morph a little bit there, what that begins to do is it breaks down the mechanism of one's integrity and one's conscience. So little by little, that mechanism in us that's inherent, that's born to work and guide us that says, this isn't right. It's like a metronome we're born with. This is right, this is wrong, this is truth, this is a lie. But we have to start morphing that early on because from the time we get punished for telling the truth, then we can't allow it to lean toward truth because in fact that leans toward pain. So we start morphing ourselves. And the more we morph, the more we start listening to the shadow. And, and that allows us to start negotiating our conscience. And the more we do that, it, there comes the point where we might seek the darkness. We might seek it out. And that's the moment we go from ordinary bad behavior to negotiating with the dark.
0: So, Carolyn, I get what you're saying about the power of having a conscience intact that works, Mm -hmm. that goes towards integrity. But what I'm not clear about is why you feel so impassioned about articulating these forces of good and evil instead of accepting a psychological explanation for what you're describing.
1: Because accepting a psychological explanation alone— alone let's be clear here it's not an either or accepting a psychological one alone um does not stops the um therapist shall we say at the door of the psyche and it does not encourage someone to look at the involvement of the soul To look at the involvement of the spiritual world in somebody's suffering, or in just like when, from a different point of view, and it helps to bring this one in because it helps to to it may make sense to include what it looks like in another position. How often I have seen that what somebody mistakes as clinical depression is in fact a spiritual crisis. And if someone did not involve the language of the soul, they would just medicate themselves and not recognize they're in a spiritual crisis. And they require the language of the spirit. They require the language of the soul. They need to recognize that what they are going through is in fact a crisis of the soul, a dark night of the soul, and that the language of the psyche is simply inadequate. In that same way, when you're going into just, well, this is a therapeutic thing and, and, and this person is obviously just schizophrenic or just, that's inadequate. They may well exhibit schizophrenic behavior, and that may well be true, but there could also, that the schizophrenia could be the caboose on this train, and the engine could be possession and one of the exhibit one of the ways that shows up is schizophrenic behavior they may well be hearing voices and those voices could be demonic it is not just a hallucination but because you won't go there you will not contact an exorcist And you have it in your mind that it's just too sophisticated for this world. Well, it's not. Those things happen. Those things happen. And any time I'm with somebody who has it in their mind that something happened that did not happen, that's a possession of a memory. That's absolutely. They're possessed by a narrative. And they can't get their facts straight. They're absolutely convinced something happened that did not happen. That's a form of a possession. And addiction is a form of a possession. Everybody's possessed by something. Absolutely everything. everybody is. People are possessed by ideas, traumas that happened to them years ago, and they can't let it out of them. And that's a form of a possession. That's how our psyche works. It gets it's like a a, a magnet and and forces. Forces, and heaven works like that. It, it inspires you with a, with a vision. What do you think Francis of Assisi got? He was possessed by God when God said to him, Build, Francis, rebuild my church. And out of that possession came the whole Franciscan community. Teresa of Avila was possessed by Jesus. Um, Nelson Mandela was, what had a possession in him that said, Hold tight to this vision that, that, that apartheid was bad. These people are possessed. Teresa, uh, Mother Teresa of India, she was totally possessed by her belief of feeding the poor. Those are possessions, but they're possessions of light. And they are totally possessed by God. And you can be totally possessed by darkness. Don't kid yourself. It is the exact same thing. You can't have, you can't have the sun without the moon. And this is just a, and I am talking impersonally, this is the mechanism. These are the way the laws work. This is mechanistic. I am a mechanistic creature. I am a creature of law. God is law. And maybe that's something people need to understand. This is an impersonal universe. It operates by law and order. And it's as simple as that.
0: So, Carolyn, I want to see through your eyes when you say we need to see things impersonally, to see the law of good and evil. Mm-hmm. In the new series, The Courage to Confront Evil, you talk about how there's a structure to the celestial world that includes mm-hmm. good and evil. So help me see that structure the way you see it.
1: You know, this universe is a... is. Completely, completely impersonal. Doesn't It operates on laws, and it operates on levels, and it operates on systems. It's as simple as that. It's not a personal universe. It doesn't belong to anybody. There is no such thing as a God that has a religion. This is an impersonal universe, and the nature of God is law. So, just like your body. Your body runs on law and mathematics. Um and so we we birth is a nine month procedure gestation and and somewhere around 12 13 we kick into puberty and et cetera. heartbeat has so many beats that's normal and blood pressure has, has this number attached to it and we have this number of cells and everything is numbers and mathematics and and then there 's the laws, law of gravity we fall, everybody falls when we jump. I mean everything is law, and then there 's numbers it's it 's this many rotations to the sun this many and the tides are are timed, spring and summer and fall and winter. everything is organized. this is an organized and law universe that's the nature of god and then we have the mystical laws and the scientific laws cause and effect action and reaction the law of sensitivity the law of integration the law of interconnection the law of energy before matter this is the nature of god god is law and those laws apply to creation and negativity is is also subject to creation darkness follows the laws of creation And there's a reason why all the great spiritual masters came and taught the law. Buddha taught the law. Stay in the middle. Watch your balance. Don't get attached to illusions. Why? Because you will lose your power. And why is it so important to understand that if you lose your power, something else might take charge of you? The same thing with Jesus. Stop being hateful because if you're hateful, something will come. He he, he he did exorcisms. Something will possess you. And we talk about people when they when they get so so insanely full of hatred, it's like a possession. Everything in this universe is law and the thing that makes this impersonal universe intimate, which is to say personal, is prayer meditation, the nature of the soul, that is what connects you to the divine. So all the mechanisms, whatever choice we make has consequence. Whatever action we make creates a reaction. That is impersonal and that is as true for one person as it is for another. No matter who you are, where you are, how much money you have, how poor you are, you jump, you're going to fall. You make a choice, it has a reaction. And, and, but, when we when we choose a conscious path that is when we are asking guide me because this power i have is so great that i do not want to make negative choices because my allies i will attract to myself negative allies and i don't want them and it's as simple as that because the law of mag- magnetic attraction is what it is and if i am making negative choices I will drain my energy and I will attract negative companions. And I will be inspired to make negative choices. And I will create a negative universe around me. And that's how it goes.
0: So. In your view, is there always a force of evil, just like there's always a force of good, and it's never going to change, it's never going to go away, that no, is... it's never going to go away. Even if we, you know, work hard and we do all these no, things and blah, blah, we, 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 we reach a tipping polar- point no. of spiritual awakening, all of these things.
1: You know, it's never going to go away, but what does change, what I think changes, is what we're prepared to do with darkness or for darkness. I mean, if you, if you um, examine yourself, for example, um, I think there are people who will use their anger. What are they prepared to do with their anger? Some people take it out on other people. They're prepared to do that. They're prepared to slap another person. They're prepared to scream at another person. And some people grab a weapon. How many, how much domestic, look at the the number of domestic violence situations. They beat their children. Some people take guns and shoot their spouses. Some people are prepared to, to take that rage And we'll always have negativity. We'll always have our shadow to deal with. But they are prepared to do something else with it other than abuse other human beings. So they find other ways, a more refined and a higher choice. They work on themselves. And they say, this is my rage. And I'm not going to do something to someone else because of it. So they make a higher choice. And they decide... What, what, what am I going to do with this rage? What is it in me that makes me so angry? So they start to refine it differently. But they have to do something with it. So they recycle it. And instead of beating someone up, they, they take that darkness and they make a higher choice with it. We'll always have to choose how to deal with our shadow. But if hopefully, hopefully... As we evolve, we make higher choices on how to deal with that shadow, and we don't we each evolve beyond the point of blaming another human being for why we have a shadow. And that's one person at a time.
0: You know, at the beginning of this conversation, Carolyn, you said, you know, thank you, Tammy, for having the courage to talk about the topic of evil, and you know that's the title of the new series, The Courage to Confront Evil." And what do you think it is? What's courageous? I'm not, to be honest with you, I feel very open. I want to learn from you. I don't feel particularly courageous at this moment. I'm interested in what you have to say. But what do you think is required in terms of confronting evil? Why do you use the word courage?
1: Well, because um, it takes a lot of courage, I think, to look at your relationship with darkness because it means that you're looking at why you make negative choices. And and at first, um, when you begin that course of self-examination, emphasis on self-examination, um, we all start as kids blaming someone else. You know, he hit me. He did that. She did that. And that's why I did that. And I remember the way, you know, my my parents dealt with it. And I remember my father saying, when, when we were each old enough, my father would say, this is the last time you can use another person's name in explaining your behavior. Now, I'm going to ask you again. Why did you do this? Why are you screaming? Until it got through our heads that I'm screaming because I want to scream. I'm screaming because I want him to hear me. He didn't make me scream. I'm screaming because I'm convinced that if I speak louder than him, I win. And once we start the course of self-examination... We have to deal with why we are angry, why we are rage, why we're controlling. And eventually, that takes us to that incredible place of what are we willing to do to win? What are we willing to do? What does anger push us to do? And that's that crossroads. That's that real hot seat that where the examination, we can stay there or we can actually cross the Rubicon and go deeper and say, has our anger ever caused us to lie about somebody? Has it ever caused us to disparage another person's character so we can win? Has it ever caused us to sin against someone? Now comes holy language. Now we pull out a vocabulary that we have essentially banned from general parlance. We don't use these words anymore, and that's to our detriment. I might add, we don't use that word anymore. We Most people don't even know what a sin is; they think it's a Catholic word,
0: <laughs>
1: and they don't get—they don't get it. And this is what why people can't forgive because this one word is no longer used. But this is, this on the journey into evil and self-examination is right there where a sin is the conscious choice to harm another person. That's what a sin is. It's because everything about being a human being is that we are conscious. And that we have choice. That's what makes you different from a tree. And a, and a, and a, and a, and a bird is the level of our consciousness. We're not bound by, by the minimal of our instinct. We can reason differently, so far as we know at least. Well, we can look at a person and say, am I going to make this choice to st- to start a rumor? Am I going to lie? Am I going to do this? And what are the consequences to this person's life? If I do this, if I take all the money out of Tammy's bank account, what are the consequences to her life if I do that? And will it bother me? And then if she asks me, what am I going to say? Should I tell her yes, no, or blame someone else if I decide to do this? And what if I decide to do And if we're caught, how about if I say to her, I never meant to hurt you and lie completely about the fact that I planned it and I didn't care about hurting her because that's what most people do. They will cover up their intent by saying, you know, I never meant to hurt you. They'll lie on top of it. And that's where the sin comes in. And that's why people stay in in therapy for 400 years because they know. Because they know the intent was conscious. And they can't release that lie, the pain of the lie. The pain of the lie. They can actually actually get over the event, but they cannot get over that the intention was conscious, and they know it. And that's the sin. And when a person gets to the point in their life where they are conscious of doing evil, where they are conscious, they're consciously compromising, then what they're actually doing is they're actually morphing their relationship with their intuition, with their own guidance. They're actually, because your guide will tell you, don't you dare do this. But in fact, what they're listening to at that point is their demon that's saying, you deserve to do this. What are you talking about? This person hurt you. Go ahead, screw them. Go ahead. And that's what dark guidance sounds like. And that's the demon.
0: Okay, so let's say someone's listening right now, Carolyn, and they're going through a self-examination and they're thinking back in their life of, oh, you know, I remember when I acted, it wasn't terrible, it wasn't like a big sin, but I gossiped about that person in a negative way because they hurt me, mm-hmm. or I lied in that situation to make myself look better and seem more accomplished than I really was. I, you know, said I had these mm-hmm. credentials. What, what do they do now?
1: Well, you know, I think, well, it, I have to say, it all depends. I mean, this is like It all depends, Tammy, because it depends what they did, really. It depends what they said. If they really harmed a person's life, I mean, it's one thing to say, to gossip about someone in a, you know, a minor, but if you've really damaged somebody's life, then I would say you have to go and do what you can to repair it. Um, That's one thing. But I also, you know, I would say to them, what would they have to say to you in order to own it? And it's not enough to say to someone, I'm sorry. That's not enough. When you've sinned against somebody, an apology will never heal it. Never. It, it's like a surface band aid. What you actually, what's required is a confession, another holy word. You have to say to them, you know what? I was conscious. I knew exactly what I was doing. I had guidance and it told me not to do it, but I didn't care. I didn't care. I chose and I knew I would hurt you. I knew I would damage your life. I knew I would break up your marriage. I knew, I knew, I knew. And you know what? I chose me over you. I chose what I wanted to do. And I sinned against you. That's a sin because it was conscious, and I know that you know it was conscious, and I need, I need your forgiveness, and that may never come, but I am owning that it was a sin, a wound from my soul to yours, and it may take lifetimes because wound, soul wounds often do, but I'm owning it in this moment. That's what you do. And sometimes that person's long gone, because that will be your next question. What if they're not here? That's when you have to say a prayer and say, I don't know where you are, but I am releasing this prayer into the cosmos and hope that it finds you. And I am owning this. And heaven hears that. Heaven hears that. Heaven does hear that. That you say a confession. That you say, "I own this. I did this." And God help me repair this in some way. Do not let me sin this way again. It, but it's up to you. Help me never to sin this way again. Give me the courage to never ever do this. Alert me and and give me the grace, the fortitude to become someone who cannot. Do that to another
0: human being. You know, now, Carolyn, in talking about the courage to confront evil, you're describing this in terms of our own self examination about choices we've made and when we've Mm -hmm. consciously chosen to knowingly hurt another person. But I think a lot of times if somebody hears something like a title, The Courage to Confront Evil, they're thinking, oh, I'm going to get out on the street, I'm going to be protesting, there's evil going on in the White House, there's evil going on there. That's what
1: I was wondering about the there. title, my dear, but
0: go ahead. Yeah, so I'm curious about that because it sounds like you think the place of power is really more in self-examination, not in pointing out the evil in others and in the world.
1: Well, I would never tell somebody to go point a finger in somebody's face and say you're evil. I mean, I mean that that's not how I, I work in the world. But if you do not develop an evil detector in yourself, where you are, you first have to develop yourself into an instrument of courage. You have to. You have to develop yourself in, into someone. You know, I'll say it this way, Tammy. One of the great challenges in people today is that they don't trust themselves. They don't trust themselves, and they don't have faith. They don't have faith, in. it's more the case that people have, they can tell me with greater conviction what they do not believe in than what they do believe in. They absolutely know what they don't believe in. They have no idea what they do believe in. And secondly, because they don't believe in anything, for sure, they don't get, they really don't get, that it makes it nearly impossible for them to trust, because faith and trust go together. So they can go to therapy all they want, but they don't get, they don't get at a primal soul level that the reason they can't trust is that they don't have faith, including in themselves. And so they don't trust themselves. And so this is one of the reasons they can't lose weight. People can't lose weight. They don't trust themselves at all. They don't have faith in themselves. And they, they think they're going to have faith in a program, a weight loss program. They're going to have faith in. This is one of the reasons relationships don't work because they don't have faith in themselves. How could they ever have faith in a partner? You have to first have faith and trust in yourself, and so, when it comes to evil, in order to have any sense that you would have courage to do anything about what's happening in our world, you have to actually know that you could trust yourself in your own integrity to know i don't I don't compromise myself i don't I don't compromise my integrity if I say to somebody I'll keep if someone said will you keep this private will you will you carry my secret in your heart because my heart's breaking and I can't hold it anymore can I put it in your heart if you said yes I'll 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 put it I'll hold it for you that you know you can trust yourself enough to give your word to give your word to someone like a lock on their heart and say yes I will hold it in the vault of my heart that you can trust yourself enough And if you can't trust yourself enough to do that, then you know you are totally susceptible to darkness. Because if darkness comes in and says, why do you say that to someone else? And they'll think you're so so special and you'll bond even closer because now you have a secret and secret bonds you to someone else. Hurry up, call them and tell them, you better keep this to yourself because you can't even keep it to yourself. Evil relies on that weakness. And you can't, you'll never be able to look at someone on the street who says, you know, help me, help me. You'll run away. But you'll say this, someone should do something. Someone should do something. But it's never going to be you. It's never going to be you. But what you will do is send out one of those useless emails that says, look at this. Look, at, look what's happening in the world. Because emails will feel courageous to you. Because it will never make you stand up to anybody. Because you don't have the guts. You don't have the backbone. It's not until you hold yourself accountable and decide, you know what? Today I'm going to start a new 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 book of rules. When I give my word, I'm going to keep it. Someone tells me, if I say to someone, I'm going to keep a confidence. You will be challenged, and the, the voice that challenges you is the demon. That's your companion demon who says, go ahead, tell him, tell him, break your word, break your word, break your word. That's not a psychological malfunction. That's not a psychological condition. That's the way darkness talks to you. It tempts you. Lead me not into temptation. That's the way darkness talks. Come on, they'll like you better. Come on, you've got a juicy piece of gossip. That's not a bipolar condition. That's not because of an abusive childhood. That's a personality, that's, that's what you'll do to get affection from someone or attention. That's when you stand up to your own character defect and you decide, no way, this time I'm going to see what trust is like. And that's when you bow your head and you say to God, grant me the grace of trust. I have to up a notch here. Help me. Help me strengthen my soul. Help me. I need the grace. I gave my word and I've got to keep it. And that's when you go into self-examination and say, what's the matter with me that I can't even trust myself to keep my word. And then you have to work to become steel. like You have to become titanium so that when someone, you give your word, there's nothing that will cause you to break it. Then you start trusting yourself little by little. You think, I'm pretty good at this. If I give my word, I keep it. I trust myself. That's when you develop the instinct of how to trust another person. You develop it. You develop a magnet because you become trustworthy. That's when you think, that's when, that's when you start developing a sense of faith, little by little, because you have now you develop faith in yourself. Now you know what faith feels like. You develop a respect for it because you realize, you know what, it's real. You know how I know it 's real because I have faith in myself that 's how you know faith is real you don 't know faith is real because you read a book on it or you imagine it you know it because you scaffold it in yourself you don 't you don 't develop faith and trust in other people by keep constantly calling them do you still love me do you still love me? do you still love me you 'll never if you don 't have faith and trust in yourself you 'll never have a relationship that works because you 're empty and there isn't enough Phone calls and Hallmark cards in the world to fill that space. This is how you fill it. Little by little, you test yourself and you scaffold it in yourself until you develop faith and trust in yourself. And then when darkness comes to call, you're able to say, get behind me, Satan. There's no way that I break my word. There's no way. This person has faith in me. This person has faith in me. I gave them my word and I will not break it. And then you feel better and better about yourself. And then you know, when you when you bow your head and you pray, God, God, help me. You have faith that help's going to come. And it does.
0: Now, Carolyn, I want to ask you what's maybe a slightly odd question. But, you know, when I think of being surrounded by these angelic forces, it's almost like, and I'll just speak from my own personal experience, it's almost like I can sense a feeling of angelic guidance and support. I don't know if I sense uh, a demonic form, but I want to understand from you, are these always like sort of swirling around? <laughs> we could, I mean, are they like, just like out there? Are they 20 feet away? Are they in a different dimension? How do you understand that? You know what?
1: I don't have a visual at all. I never have. I, 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 I have heard them them mine I don't know what to say tammy i've I've had I'll never forget and it and it was it I have thought about this and told this story so many times, but i I was coming home when I was in college, I worked at a candy factory, Mars kit, where they make snickers and m and m s and that's how I worked my way through college, and I worked from three thirty to midnight, so I was driving home after the midnight shift down Oak Park Avenue and I live near there now as a matter of fact. And Oak Park's kind of a mini main street through and so there's side streets coming in and there's stop signs on those side side streets as, as they feed into Oak Park. And it's about quarter after midnight and so I'm obviously most of, most people are off the streets by that time. And I'm driving down Oak Park and my angel said to me, slow down, a red truck is going to run the stop sign. And and I just slowed down and this red truck ran, just barreled through the stop sign. And that's when I realized, oh my God, I heard a voice and it told me to slow down. I heard a voice. I heard a voice, and it told, and it said a red truck, and that's the red. Tr- I couldn't get over it. I couldn't. I couldn't get over it. I have still thought about it, and in times when I'm sad or uncertain, I think about that experience because the guidance was so specific, so clear, so clear, so specific, and uh, it was so remarkable. And it, it wasn't a feeling it was actually and i remember when i when i um um uh, when i was living in new hampshire where i lived for 10 years uh on the farm and was in publishing and it's when my life as a medical intuitive began and i also started teaching and doing readings and traveling and I and during from 1986, seven eight I started to commute to Europe a lot and teach a lot over there but especially in 88, 90, 90 those years, I was always teaching over in England and Scotland and Holland and I was there all the time. And one day as I, the day this one day when I was returning, I flew out of Boston all the time and the flights coming in, and this was in 1992, in February. And the flight's landing, and I look out the window, and the stewardess said, um, welcome, to, welcome to the United States and all, all Americans, welcome home. And as the flight was landing, I thought, I looked out at Boston, and I love Boston, but I looked down and I thought, this isn't my home. It felt so foreign to me. Like, this isn't the city I love. Like, I felt so disconnected. So, I'm driving back to the farm, and it's a two hour drive to the farm where I lived in New Hampshire. And I drive and I walk in, and I've got my coat on. It's February. I have my suitcase. I open the farm door, and as soon as I walk in, I didn't even put my suitcase down. I heard my guide say, Go home now. Tammy, I put the suitcase down. I did not take my coat off. I didn't take my coat off. I went to the phone and I called my mom. And I said, Mom, can I move home with you for a while? I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I don't know if I'm going to move to England. I don't know where I'm going to go. I just have got to leave and I have to leave now. And my father had passed on, the house was big enough. And she said, sure. Then I hung the phone up. Then I called the woman who took care of my farmhouse while I was on the road all the time. And I said, can you and your husband come here and help me pack up the place starting tomorrow? She said, yes. Then I called a U-Haul. And I said, I rented a U-Haul truck for the next day. Then I called my brother. And I said, I'm going to fly you out here. And we're going to drive home the day after. Then I went to my neighbor because I was renting this house and I said, I will be gone on Friday. Then I took my coat off.
0: Okay, I'm with you. And I think, you know, Carolyn, we could have angel stories on and on and on. But what I'm also curious about is are these, it's almost like as we're talking, I'm imagining them as like dark swirls Are they also, like, around me, you know, as well? What
1: difference does that make?
0: I'm curious about it.
1: You know, my friend, I have a very dear friend who's um, Muslim, and he told me about uh, how Mecca started with Angel Gabriel. And Muhammad asked Gabriel, what do you look like? And Gabriel said, look upon the horizon. He said, if you saw me. I would look like I was standing and I and I reached all the way to the sun. My wings are so big. That's how Gabriel described himself to Muhammad. And I don't I I, I think, you know, we have this idea that angels have wings however we got that idea that angels are are, are huge. There are many levels of angels. Teresa Vavila wrote an angel visited me, but I today, but I'm not sure from what realm because he he didn't stay long enough. And then she described cherubs, little angels that look like little babies with little wings that floated through her office sometimes. So they often will manifest looking like us. Do they look like us? They're beings of light. There are many stories in which angels appear to us in physical form, but they're always dressed like beggars. Always. They're always dressed like homeless people. We have to be exceedingly kind to homeless people because you could be dealing with an angel. They're always dressed like that.
0: But Carolyn, what I'm asking about is, you know, we have these images of the devil that we see in cartoons and things like that and different Mm -hmm. kind of characterizations of demons and things. That's what I'm curious to understand more about their presence.
1: Um, well, I would have to say they're um, I, I I don't know. Um, they're in the business of terror. So, I think that they're in the business of terrifying us. And probably the images are based on, you know, let me put it this way. I think that they will manifest according to what scares you the most. And... They'll fulfill your darkest fear. Let me put it that way. Um, So they'll dress according to your projection. I think it works like that.
0: Okay, just a a couple of more questions about evil before we uh, close Mm -hmm. this conversation. Do you believe that evil is manifesting more powerfully now in our culture than at other times? And if so, why? Yes. Yes. Why?
1: Why? because we've decided that it doesn't exist and that gives it free reign, I think because we do not protect ourselves, we because we because evil's greatest authority over us is arrogance. We we're too big for our intellectual britches. We think we know so much and it's hilarious. We make up theories about how we think this universe started. Oh, it exploded itself into existence. And And we are still such primates. We spend most of our creative energy trying to figure out how to destroy each other. That's how primitive we are. That's how primitive we are. We're such a primitive group of creatures that we can't even figure out how to feed each other. And we still are destroying the only home we have. That's how primitive we are. And we think, and and, and this isn't evil, that we spend 90% of our effort trying to kill each other, trying to kill each other, and we feel good about it. We celebrate the fact that we've even created bigger weapons. And then we convince ourselves that if we use them, we'll still figure, and then the wealthy people think, oh, I know what I'll do with our money, my money. I'm going to go burrow a, a place underground so I can live through a nuclear devastation. Those idiots. Those stupid idiots. And you and this nuclear, evil's gone nuclear. And what's worse? What's worse is that we now have a society in which all the politicians are pathological liars, and that's okay. That's okay with us. That doesn't even have people screaming in the streets. They should be screaming their heads off. I stand in, a, in an audience and think, why are you not? screaming your heads off you've grown numb to the fact that you're being led by pathological liars and it's okay with you it's okay with you you've compromised your integrity so much that you hear lies 24 7 and you figured out a way that that's okay with you so do i think there's more evil now are you kidding me it's blasting 24 7 It's so, we are in so much darkness and in so much trouble, so much darkness and so much trouble that we're putting kids in cages, grabbing them and kidnapping them from their parents and believing the garbage they tell us that, oh my God, is it unsafe if they come in here? And we sit back while eating dinner saying, I think that's probably true. Let's go out. There's no truth to that at all. That's the devil. That is evil. Especially if you sat back and said, my God Almighty, what are we believing? This is so evil. And when you sit back and compromise your soul, if you think for the last 70 years you've been on a progressive path of spirituality and consciousness, becoming a conscious person, and this is the state of our country, this is what the handiwork of consciousness has led to us, We are so regressed, it's unbelievable. So do I think evil's got the upper hand? Oh, yes, I do.
0: Do you see that evil might be playing some role in our evolution that is actually ultimately a a positive evolutionary role, even though we're going through this dark time?
1: I'm not an optimist, and I'm not a pessimist. I'm a die-hard realist. You've known me 25, 30 years. How mm-hmm. long have we known each other? You're a diehard Third, realist.: I don't, I don't know how long we've known each other. Um, to me, everything about the human experience is about choice and consequence. everything. everything. Everything's in our hands. The older I get, the more I realize that. We are the engines of what we experience. We're not children. There is no off planet god that's a parent that says, "Okay, you're you, you're behaving better now, so I will take the heat off." That's not how creation works. Either we wake up or we don't. We are not a special species at all. We are not any better than the birds or the dolphins or 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 the ants and the bees. We are not. We're simply another species occupying this planet. But we're stupid. We're the stupid species because we're the ones destroying it and taking down all the other creatures with us. We don't get that all life breathes together. We don't get it. And we don't want to. We just keep deluding ourselves with this garbage that we were born for something special, that we're special. We're deluding ourselves with specialness. And because of that, and we tell ourselves we're extraordinary. And because of that Kool Aid that we drink and we raise our kids on, you're so special that we believe we can live above and outside the law. And when you believe that, that you are somehow an exception to the law, and that's how you measure your specialness oh, I don't have to follow the laws. I, I don't, no, no, the laws are for ordinary mortals. When you think, then you live outside the laws of nature, and that's how you get out. that That's when you're out of touch, quote, out of touch, not just with nature, but with your own nature, with your own nature, and that's when you become a criminal. That's when you think, like, and that's when you become a, a, a puppet of darkness, because you pride yourself on not following laws. Oh, you're the exception to the rule. Rules don't apply to you. Laws don't apply to you. That's when you become a lawbreaker. And that's when you're a real danger to society in small and in big ways, because you don't have to be moral. You don't have to be ethical because that's now that's how you measure your greatness. When laws don't apply to you, not when they do, including the laws of nature.
0: All right, Carolyn, I just have one final question for you. You've emphasized how important our choices are. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people know that choice point where, you know, I could do this thing and it would hurt someone else. I think a lot of us who have a conscience and are somewhat self-reflective, we know that particular choice point. If I go forward, this is a sin. I'm not going to do that. Or I am going to do that, depending. What are the most outside of that situation— What are the most important choices that matter in our life?
1: Uh, The choice to get your conscience up and running as clear as you can. The choice to evaluate your own actions every single evening. The choice to give up the word blame and the word deserve. The choice to do something to serve someone else every single day to break out of narcissism and the choice to pray.
0: Very good. Carolyn Mace, you know, I always learn talking to you and I love it. We're working on a new series together that relates to your new book on prayer called The Power of Holy Language to Change Your Life. And you always have something new, always something new coming. I love that.
1: <laughs> Thank you, sweetie. It has been honestly one of the pleasures of my life to know you.
0: Likewise. I'm talking to Carolyn Mace. She's created more than 20 audio learning series with Sounds True. And today we've been talking about her latest new release. It's called The Courage to Confront Evil, The Most Important Challenge of Our Time. Thank you for listening to Insights at the Edge. You can read a full transcript of today's interview at soundstrue.com. Forward slash podcast, And if you're interested, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And also, if you feel inspired, head to iTunes and leave Insights at the Edge a review. I love getting your feedback, being in connection with you, and learning how we can continue to evolve and improve our program. Working together, I believe we can create a kinder and wiser world. SoundsTrue.com, waking up the world.